0: welcome this is the change creator podcast Now, welcome back to the Change Credit Podcast show. This is your host, Adam Force. And I am excited today because we have a lot of good stuff going on. Um, so to kick it off, don't forget, go back to, if you missed it, go back to the last episode with Martin. We talk about scaling e-commerce. Then um, even if you're not in e-commerce, there's a ton of value here because this is a guy that has scaled several uh, seven-figure e-commerce shops. And now he's addressing uh, the plastic pollution space uh, with his latest business, Get Moot. But he, annually, he has managed over hundred million dollars in Facebook ad spend. They were testing over 10,000 ads a day. (laughs) Um, So pretty big operation. He knows a lot because of the data and everything that he's uh, experienced. Really good with that tool. So there's a lot of good nuggets in there for uh, learning how to scale. Um, today we're going to be talking with Kim Lay. And I, I believe that's how you pronounce her last name. Um, but she is one of the co-founders over at uh, Prime Roots, which is a really great company. And, you know, being a, a vegetarian for seven years um, for a number of reasons, um, you know, I love seeing these types of companies pop up because she is a superfood vegan company. And it's, it's important when it comes to things like the climate crisis. We need more companies like this to start transitioning some of the food habits and take the pressure off the ecosystems. So we're going to talk about how she created her proof of concept, got this thing started. And since 2017, just with that proof of concept, she was able to raise over $4 million in funding because this is a hot space, everybody. This industry, uh, as as we have to transition our foods and we get into this vegan or vegetarian space, investors are really uh, into it and they see the importance around it. So we're going to talk about the industry. We're going to talk about how she got started and proof of concept and all that kind of stuff and the funding. All right. So... Stay tuned. We're going to dive into that conversation with Kim in just a minute. And if you guys haven't stopped by Facebook, we, um, this is our, like, as I always mentioned, just reminding you, that's our my primary social media channel that you're going to find all of our updates. And from that, from our Facebook page, you can find the Facebook group if you want to get into a more specific conversation about uh, growing and scaling your business. It's called the Profitable Digital Impact Entrepreneur. There's a button on the Facebook page. So stop by, follow us, get involved. We want to hear from you and uh, we appreciate that. So, I think that pretty much covers it. Last, uh, you know, one other thing, just don't forget, you know, we have a lot of good content, guys, out on the um, on ChangeCreator.com. So if you haven't swung by in a while, swing by ChangeCreator.com. There's a lot of new guides that we're putting out there. We're really trying to organize the content, and we did an organizational update. So when you go to the blog page now, you'll see the way that that's set up, and you'll find different guides. Okay, and lastly, if you scroll down on the homepage, we do have the waitlist now for the Captivate method. This is our signature program. Um, it originally started in 2018 where we taught storytelling to help people attract uh, the right customers for their business and really use storytelling. Uh, people were hungry for more and they wanted to know more about the application to the business, really using this to drive sales and things like that. So we did expand the program and we do teach how to start getting automated and how to start setting up uh, your sales stories, how to get more sales, more conversions. And we really lay that out there. Even we do um, key performance uh, indicator measurements and stuff like that. So, it's a really robust program and we offer two coaching calls a month that are part of it so that you can ask questions in real time so if that's interesting to you uh jump on the wait list and we'll send you some info you'll get a chance to join our masterclass with me and amy where we're going to walk you through this framework and everything that we do and you can see if it's a good fit for you all right so that's about it let's jump into this conversation with kim okay show me the heat Hey, Kim, welcome to the Change Creator Podcast show. How are you doing today?
1: Good. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Thanks for being here. Um, I love what you guys are doing, and I'm excited to to learn more because it seems like you've already taken some big steps, and uh, we'll get into that stuff. But tell me just a little bit, you know, um, what's going on in your world these days? Like, what's the latest, the greatest in developments, and what's exciting for you right now?
1: Yeah, so bit of background, so at Prime Roots we make um, a koji-based superprotein uh, which is an ancient Japanese superfood that we ferment um, and turn it into all different types of high protein food applications um, and the first few that we're going after are alternatives to meat and seafood because the koji that we grow has the natural texture um, the protein content and the taste of meat, yeah. and the umami notes just naturally. Um, so that's what we're doing currently. My day-to-day um, is really leading the team and <clears throat> leading the efforts to um, engage with our community, our product development together, um, to be able to make the best products that are truly no compromises. I
0: love that, and, and what got you into uh, the business?
1: So, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial um, family, all really focused on food and experiences around food. Hmm. Um, My mom's a professional chef, so I grew up in her kitchen. Uh, So I've always been really interested in food. Um, I went to UC Berkeley to study um, and also did a lot of research there where I was looking into agricultural production systems and learned that a large part of the crops that we grow um, actually get fed to animals. Um, And the way that meat is made is really inefficient because we're feeding, you know, 30 calories of nutrient-rich grains and um, legumes and other plant material that you could just, you know, whip up into a dish to feed a human, but we're feeding it to a cow so that, um, or any other animal to give us, you know, what we call meat. Um, So I was questioning, you know, what is meat? Um, Is there a way to make meat better, more efficient for our planet um, and also for health? Um, so that's kind of, like, what led me to to approaching, you know, a very technical um, and socially motivated company from, like, a culinary and a scientific perspective.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, um, I mean, that, that's an interesting perspective, just thinking about it that way, and it is technical, so it makes me curious, you know, you, you grew up in a family of, of entrepreneurs in the food space, and I, I guess how do you even start thinking about approaching these ideas? Because I've had many ideas and I'm just sitting there saying, well, how do you manufacture that? How do you even come up with the product idea? Who do you talk to, to start thinking about, you know, figuring out recipes or ingredients and breaking down these things? Cause there's a lot of science behind it, I guess. And, and a number of other professional (laughs) angles you have to look at. So where does that start for you?
1: I think, It starts, so for, for private specifically, uh, what really got us kind of rolling was um, I was part of a program called the Alternative Meat Lab at Berkeley, Um, but in terms of like, you know, going from the classroom and the lab to the, to actually having a company, um, that was a lot to do with, you know, the family and my ecosystem being really encouraging and supportive of the mission that I was after. And I think because I had acquired the requisite tool set um, of, you know, having launched products in the the past, having developed products in the past, knowing what that trajectory looks like, um, made it a lot less daunting. Like I can definitely imagine how, you know, it can seem very daunting from the outside because there's like regulation scale up like where do you get the capital all of that it's there's a lot of like moving pieces
0: there is and i mean and where do you find someone to say listen i want to create this substitute for you know the meat space and different different types and like where do you start how do you start experimenting with solutions for that and testing them out
1: so for me, it was really understanding what was the status quo in the industry. Yeah. So early on, I would, um, you know, I had always tried these products, like just throughout my life, but mm-hmm. I always had like a literal bad taste in my mouth because it always tasted really planty, it was mushy, like yeah. tofurky, <laughs> tasted like tofu, which it is. Um, <laughs> and like, if you're vegan, vegetarian, plant-based, you know, or you've tried these alternative these substitutes before. You know that it, like it can get pretty boring. Oh yeah. Um, and so, I went to the grocery store. I pretty much bought everything everywhere, and like started trying products. Um, and I identified like the c- core issues, um, which were taste first. And they just didn't taste right, um, or they tasted like plants. And then um, the texture was also a really big issue. Yeah. Um, and then if you if you flipped over and looked at the label um there are many products kind of like the legacy brands that are definitely more nutritious than like the current like um up and coming brands but um you know those are kind of like the three things that we think about at primary we're developing and then and then after that you kind of have a matrix and you know like what needs to be done um and then you see you know how things have been done in the past why it's not working and then of go off of that to find better solutions
0: gotcha gotcha and and, i mean do you need funding out of the gate to start you know getting in a lab and actually trying to cultivate these ideas
1: so i was able to get really good proof of concepts and prototypes of all of our products um just in my kitchen um so we actually don't produce any of our products in a lab um and we have a we have commercial kitchen um, we also have a production kitchen that we work out of to nice. um, basically grow all of our, our food and then also make it into the final products.
0: I love that. That's awesome. And um, I'm curious, like, what inspired you, though, to... So have you are you a vegetarian, vegan? Like, where are you right now in your life?
1: I am pretty plant-based. Okay. And um, but I guess, like, probably the most accurate, like... Identity, although I'm not a fan of Identity, is probably Flexitarian. Um, but 99.9% of my meals are
0: plants. Yeah, yeah, I've been the same way for about seven years. me and my wife. We you know it's funny when I met my wife, this is about 10 years ago now, she was vegetarian and I was not. I was I ate meat regularly. I had no idea what's going on in the world. And, so, and, so, <laughs> and I was like this like salesman to her and I convinced her, I was like, man, you gotta and I, I convinced her to start eating meat again. And a year after that, um, I started, you know, being exposed to certain information and things that kind of really hit home for me. And I was like, man, we got to be vegetarian. (laughs) She's like, you you woke up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You wake up. And it's like, and all of a sudden, so now the past, you know, seven years or so, we've been a uh, vegetarian. And I mean, we do like a little bit of fish here and there, maybe once a week, like maybe. But we've been pretty good about being plant based uh, these days. And it's getting easier and easier. That's for sure. Especially mm-hmm. with great companies like yours coming out and giving more options and things like that. And I don't know about you, but like I've tried a lot of stuff. And I, we, we're, and You know, not to knock to- Tofurky here, but yeah, I don't really like Tofurky. <laughs> but we find brands and they're like, and sometimes people are like, well, this doesn't taste like a burger. And I always think to myself, I'm like, well, it doesn't have to taste like a burger. It's just another mm-hmm. alternative. It's, And I go, it's not a burger. <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. a hamburger. So it shouldn't taste like that. So to me, I'm curious, like, are you really trying to mimic flavors or just make something unique of its own as a replacement with like the nutrition and stuff?
1: I love that you bring that up because like, as I... As I've like transitioned over time to being more and more plant based, I've actually lost the taste for meat. Yeah. Um and like and, and you realize how gross meat actually is. Yes. Um and also how like one experience with meat is never the same as another experience because you know, you have more feces, more E. coli, more like whatever it is in like one version versus another. Yeah. Um so something we think about a lot and that we're actually seeing the industry move towards is, you know, how do we think about, you know, what's next? Um, like like these, we are today imitating meat um, and seafood. Um, and that's, we really see as a transition. Yep. Um, and I think that like these products will always be in the market. We will always have these alternatives that look and taste and feel like meat. Um, but if you look at the plant-based milk industry, for an example, there's a, there was a whole wave of, you know, just trying to make something that looks and feels and acts like milk. And now there's like more flavored milks, um, plant-based milks that people are are really loving. And that shows that people didn't really like the taste of milk. (laughs) Um, (laughs) like I tried to go to the grocery store to get my hands on this like turmeric, um, plant milk the other day and it was sold out at every single store except for one an hour away from me. And I like actually went and got it. Oh my God, (laughs) you're crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just like, and and I like love the concept so much and it definitely lived up to like the expectation. Um, But yeah, we think about like what's next, but I think today um, the reality is 95% of people still eat meat and it's just convincing people to eat less meat. Um, And that, you know, there are really great alternatives that exist. Um, There's a South Park episode recently. Um, I really liked it. It was basically um, talking about how these alternatives are pretty much, you know, like their counterparts. They're, you know, mostly heavily processed um, junk foods and people don't really know the difference between the two. Um, And so the joke was Cartman's like, oh, I didn't really care that like it was this processed food or that processed food um, that it was just processed food. And that's what I like. Like, I thought you were going to feed me broccoli, which is not what veganism or plant-based, like there's so many options beyond salads.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And and it is a transition. I mean, you grow up completely just learning that this is how it is. I mean, lots of great marketing kudos to the uh, beef and meat industries for, you know, making everyone believe that this is the way of the world Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know same thing with the dairy it's just like oh you gotta have milk gotta have milk and it's just like everyone Mm -hmm. will swear by it I'm like why on earth would we be drinking milk from another species that is supposed to grow up to be a thousand plus pounds
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah also like so many people are lactose intolerant yeah so, <laughs> hey, there's and, that too
0: there's that too and, and honestly man i would take cashew coconut milk uh, uh, over that stuff any day it tastes so much better it's just yeah. you know it's crazy yep.
1: but you can see like brands like oatly that have a far superior product in my mind um really like infiltrating the lives of like meat eaters and becoming yeah. like the status quo like screw grass-fed pasture like cows like oat milk you know, is the thing that people want.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and it, I'll, I'll close out this little part of the conversation real quick with like something that we just found out. Like, we were big fans of the Just Mayo um, option for mayonnaise, mm-hmm. if you're familiar. And um, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, for like a few months, it disappeared from shelves in the supermarkets. And I was like, "What the hell is going on? Did something discontinue?" And I was like doing all this research. And so we recently found out that it was Hellman's mayonnaise. They were suing Just Mayo for using the the word mayo. Mm -hmm. And they were doing that, you know, to keep them off the shelves. So all of a sudden, guess what happened? Oh, Hellman's put out a vegan mayonnaise. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And they were trying to just take over the market. And that's the part of capitalism that I hate. That's like dirty business to me.
1: Yep. I, I think that's like a byproduct of our like somewhat dysfunctional of legal and like, you know, lobbying situation we have in America. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's a whole other uh, interview. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I guess I, am curious, like you talked about the transition. So you're building up this business and tell me where you are now. So you have all these proofs of concept and, and was it, you got funding, is that through the Gates foundation? Is that correct? Uh,
1: No. So we went, um, I guess more traditional venture capital, um, we went through an accelerator program, which really got us off the ground in terms of validating the technology, um, and then we um, raised a seed round last year.
0: Oh, awesome! And and where did you do the accelerator program? Where was that?
1: Um, it was in San Francisco um, at an accelerator called IndieBio. So they've incubated a lot of future food companies.
0: Hmm. Okay, that's it. so it was it was kind of a niche accelerator definitely interesting Is was that is that an accelerator you had to pay to be part of
1: uh they pay you um so it's definitely it's like considered a pre-seed round um I see so I see that's kind of how we got our um our starts financially yeah before that it was just bootstrapping
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean that's the way it goes so that's pretty awesome and and what I guess I'm curious like uh, to me like the the animal world one of the big parts of it aside from just animal welfare is climate change um how do you see yourself playing a role in that uh, part of today's you know current situation
1: yeah that is that is like a hundred percent the the thing that like keeps me going every day and you know makes me um you know wake up and like i'm just so happy to be doing what i'm doing
0: yeah um
1: it really drives me because i was a former um like very competitive snowboarder um and so cool. over the years i would see you know resorts closing the seasons getting shorter and that's really sad um i also did a fair amount of diving and looking at reefs in southeast asia Ugh. um and so my family's actually there right now and i like told them, like, you have to go see the reefs because you won't be able to see them in five or ten years, maybe even next year. Right. Um, and, like, my siblings, who are very much Gen Zs, they went and, like, they're really excited to be able to go diving and see all these things, but they, like, they came up and they were, like, it was really sad because it looked like Blue Planet or any of these documentaries where, like, things are bleached. And I went two years ago and the reefs were still vibrant. So it just it's really sad because you know you don't get to see the effects of climate change every day except for you know sometimes if you're diving in the reef every day um but you know the world is changing and and the fact that people um care about it but don't care enough is you know is it saddens me but at the same time i think the solutions that we're creating makes it a lot easier for people to um contribute
0: yeah Yeah, I mean that's the idea. It's it's you know, because everyone's like, oh, be conscious when you shop. And I guess that's part of the transition in my mind, because I don't want to leave it in the hands of people to have to think about that or make certain decisions one over the other, of like Mm -hmm. my cost versus, you know, my well being and stuff. So I think it really falls into the hands of people just approaching businesses like you are to just make it a standard, make this the norm. Like why you know what I mean? So just to think more holistically with the business. What is it Mm -hmm. not just the cost to the company? but the cost to the people and the planet and stuff like that. Exactly. So,
1: um, yeah. Like organic farming um, has really infiltrated kind of like our whole food system and like people that was driven by consumer demand. Um, so about 10, 15 years ago uh, was when, you know, people started talking about organic, learning more about it. Um, and Walmart was actually one of the first big players to really look into it and adopt it. Um, and so it really does start from consumers, which is why I'm so optimistic about plant-based because yeah. consumers are hundred percent driving the trend. We get large multinational companies, um, wanting to talk to us pretty much like weekly, um, because they're like, we need to get in and we don't understand how to do it. Can you help us?
0: Really? And there are, there are other food companies is, is, are coming to you for consultation basically?
1: It's a mixed bag, but it's consultation, collaboration. Um, I think mean, people see this as the way of the future. Um, but they're dissatisfied for one reason or another of the current alternatives that exist. Um and the biggest concern for a lot of companies is how um, there's been a lot of recent press around how really processed these um, newer meat new alternatives are, yeah. how you know it's not actually healthier for you. Um, I mean, th- both of those claims can be rebutted. Um, but I I think it's really about what the consumer perceives and what the consumer wants and we have to give them that instead of you know, going through a five, 10 year battle to change hearts and minds.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the consumer demand has been an exciting shift thanks to just a lot of people, you know, spreading mm-hmm. information and thanks to the internet and stuff like that. And I've seen some of those articles come out about, you know, combating saying, well, it's processed and that's true. So there's, you know, maybe there's a human health discussion and then there's a, a earth health discussion, which, um, you know, there are two different discussions, but also, mm-hmm. you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big part of it so maybe this is all just transitional you know as we learn and we we work with what we have so far right
1: yeah I, i hope it is transitional um if not i'm still in this fight for the long run um plant-based milks have gone from like low single digits to almost 15% in the past few years. Um, I see the same happening for meat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I've seen, you know, investors are pretty hungry to get in this space. So that means that the space will continue to probably blossom, um, with new innovations. And as far as just doing business the right way, um, as best we can within the current system is like, I, I, you know, when I started change crater, there was nothing about social entrepreneurship not in any universities, no magazines, no books. And it was very hard to find any info. And so now you can look and it's in 20 of the, the top universities around the, uh, around the US. Uh, you have courses on social entrepreneurship. So you could see this trend of the businesses have to think smarter about what they're doing. And then you see, you know, investors investing in these types of solutions. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's why I say is I hope it is a transition. And it seems to be going up that way, which is nice.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. One of our investors, Collaborative Fund, they have a mantra, or like a philosophy that, you know, better for the world, better for me, um, products and companies, you know, that the intersection of those two things has exponential opportunity. Um, So that's financially, but also um, in terms of unmeasurable impacts that, you know, things like climate change, uh, moving the needle in the right direction. So I think investors are starting to wake up to that. Um, and hopefully that trend continues.
0: Yeah, I think so. And, you know, now schools are starting to have, um, part of the learning curriculum include climate change, believe it or not. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I can just see this future of like, this climate change thing that we're battling and now it has, it's so serious that like we need to have actual course curriculum. Like kids are going to grow up with like becoming climate warriors, basically.
1: (laughs) And that's so empowering. It is. It
0: is. is. I think that was, I think it was Norway that's doing that. Oh,
1: that's awesome.
0: Yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting. And I, once I heard that, I was like, Ooh, that's, I can see where this is going because it is such Mm -hmm. a serious thing. And God, you know, with everything going on, we need all the help we can get. So if they can teach at a young age, like what all the the important parts of this conversation Mm -hmm. are, that's that's awesome.
1: Definitely. Yeah. And I think it's important, like in the U.S. and um, in general that, you know, of course, there are going to be skeptics and climate change deniers. And it's really important not to focus on those people and focus on like, how can I personally as a person involved in organizations or not, um, you know, help? Better the situation for all. Yeah. Um, and instead of trying to like fight and waste your energy on trying to convert people that have um, their, their like minds and hearts in a certain place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So I, I guess I'm curious now, how, how long have you been? When was your, when did you start uh, Prime?
1: Uh, I started the company in around January, February of 2017. Um, So, we're approaching about, like, three years since when I started to dream up of the future that, like, I really wanted to live in. Um, And so, that started then. um, I was going through the program at Berkeley, and then kind of one thing led to another. um, And it's been... I mean, looking back, I can't believe it. it's been three years.
0: Yeah, the time goes quick. Um, mm-hmm. What were some of the bigger challenges? Any big major challenges like that just stand out to you that you had to try to get through? Or, you know, did you ever have a point where you felt like, oh, my God, this is not going to work? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Truthfully, I don't think we've ever faced, like, that type of, like, feeling because um, I'm sure at the moment it felt like it, and I probably like brushed it under a rug, but right. um, I, I'm a really optimistic person and I love to problem solve. Um, so I take it as opportunity to kind of like solve problems and so we haven't hit any like catastrophic bumps yeah. yet. You know, That's not good. one would. Yeah, not um, one <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of the entrepreneurial journey is about um, luck. And meeting the right people and surrounding yourselves with the right people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've been very fortunate to have um, a really supportive just ecosystem.
0: Yeah, well, it sounds like that accelerator and your family like it's been it's it's served you well.
1: Yeah, it, I think the one thing that entrepreneurs and um, just generally people don't talk about is the importance of family, um, and I, I would not be here without my family. Um, And they help me tremendously just like every day.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that you're right, that ecosystem is is really important. And Every time we, we meet people, I mean, you got to get out there too. I think a lot of digital entrepreneurs today just get stuck behind the desk trying to create the next sales funnel. And um, mm-hmm. rather than, you know, building their networks and realizing that you never know what doors are going to open. I mean, we went to San Francisco for a conference and we found out that a Nobel Peace Prize winner, Dr. Muhammad Yunus, was doing a talk down the road at the Commonwealth Club and um they were sold out of tickets and stuff we're like well let's call them and we went in as they let it was like two hundred dollars a ticket but they let us in for free because we said we're media and we wanted to interview dr eunice we ended up doing a whole magazine cover story with him totally off the cuff but never would have happened if we weren't out and about you know what i mean that's so awesome
1: yeah it's like i think just being out in the world it's when you're building a company, it's really important to be focused and like building and like actually making something people want and validating that. Yeah. But like being in the basement for too long, like it it's also not a great thing because you have to get out there and like actually validate if people want it, talk to people, get your ideas out there. So um, that's been the learning definitely. Cause I, I, spend a lot of time kind of just in my own head, just like in our kitchens working. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it's so important to get out and talk to people. and um, we've been focusing a lot and building our community to really help um, with that.
0: Cool. yeah, that's amazing. Um by the way, how mu- how much were you able to raise to get this thing going?
1: Um, so our seed round was a little over four million. Um, and so we Yeah, we Raised that uh, last year And we're set To pretty much Launch our products um, in Early in 2020 So early we're 20.
0: really close Awesome, and I, I was just curious, like so going through the accelerator just for people listening who are in you know doing this type of stuff is the accelerator is did they connect you with the venture capitalists did that help make it easier to not to get the funding but to just get the connections
1: a hundred percent yeah um i think accelerators and incubators are great first steps for entrepreneurs that are thinking or know that they need, you know, venture capital or just general capital to scale their businesses. Yeah. Um, and I think the, f- the first thing you have to ask yourself if you're kind of like thinking about getting funding is, do I really need the funding? Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of great blog posts and essays and the internet about that. So if you're building something that requires a lot of capital, um, n- not necessarily like, at scale, yes, at scale, but you have to, if there's a way you can do it with less money now, you should definitely bias towards that. And if you can do it with your own money or with friends and family, 100% do that because taking capital comes at the cost of losing ownership of your company. Right. Um, and, you know, obviously dealing with more people, having more expectations, like you don't, like it's not 100% your company. Yeah. Um, and so accelerators and incubators, if you do think that, like, the venture, um, path is right for you is 100% like the best way to start because th- these um, ecosystems are really connected to the venture capital world. It's where right. a lot of people um, actually source talent and mm-hmm. deals from. Um, and And then secondly, there's usually a program that you go through. Um, that really gets you from like zero to maybe like 0.5. I won't say zero to one, you know, like you get a good proof of concept. Um, and like an understanding for how to run a company, um, kind of being like handheld through that process. And that's really valuable.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's amazing. I mean, that's a lot of good advice too. I think some people get really confused about whether they should, I mean, I was looking around originally when I moved to Miami and people wanted like, like one accelerator I spoke to was like, yeah, it's, it's, it costs us 15 grand a week they wanted. <laughs> I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I was like, so, I mean, I guess everyone has different models and stuff. You gotta find one that's mm-hmm. right for you. And sometimes they're not in your, your area. So you'd have to go and like, they want you to be there in person a certain amount of the time mm-hmm. and- And it can be a little bit uh, difficult sometimes.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a commitment. Um, There's, you know, like the most famous accelerator by far is Y Combinator. They're pretty much, you know, agnostic to type of company. Um, And that's a great program. And if you know that you're a more niche company, that you want specific support with, like, for example, biology, IndieBio is a great one for that. Um, There's also a lot of grants and, you know, capital that is... Um, doesn't come at a cost for equity Um, so, you know, be on the lookout for those as well. Just remember that, you know, the process of getting funding and pitching or applying for things does take a lot of the time away from building your company. So yep. weighing that and understanding where you are in your company is so important. We,
0: we went through that same exact thing. We spent about, I don't know, probably a year where we were trying to run our business and build it up and then also do the travel and meetings for all like potential investor mm-hmm. pitches. And we, at one point we were like, you know what, like we're making money with these products and I'd rather just like put more water on those and see them grow. than <laughs> divide our time. We, quit going after investors and said screw it let's just focus all of our energy on doing what we got to do and you know i guess that's a decision everybody has to make at some point
1: (laughs) i think it's a it's a scenario that most entrepreneurs will run into yeah i mean and that's the thing
0: because you really to your point when you said it takes a lot of time you're right so it's like we had to say we're either going to dedicate all our time to this or this so which one's it going to be right
1: (laughs) And and like understand that i think finding the right people to partner with is better than finding just money from the wrong people or people who don't see eye to eye um, Mm -hmm. because they can be a lot more trouble than they're worth. Um, And so like control your process. And like, for example, if you do say, this is taking too much of my time, or um, we've had cases where, you know, we've had great opportunities come up and fundraising and, you know, getting capital is really kind of this all in or not. Um and just saying like, okay, we're gonna do this other thing instead and controlling your process is like really empowering. Yeah. Um and, and also like something that you should, you know, kind of think about. Definitely. Opportunity cost.
0: Opportunity cost, exactly. <laughs> no, those are great points. Great points, and um, we are just about out of time here, so we'll wrap up. And um, where can people find you? Can you give uh, you know the best location online for them to check you out as you get ready for your launch and everything?
1: For sure, we're at primeroots.com, and actually, on our website, we have ways that you can get involved. So you can join our general um, waitlist membership which is completely free. Um, basically, you give us your email, your zip code, and we'll be really mindful of sending you things when we're in your area or if we have um, any big announcements. Um, we send out emails like very infrequently. And then if you're like really, really passionate about um, the future of food and want to help us in um, a more involved way, we have an ambassador program where it's also free. You just apply, fill out a survey, Um, and you get to be part of our tester group. Um, you'll get invited to ambassador only events. Um, and it's a more tight knit community for people that really want to be more involved. Um, but all in all, we love our community. We always host events. Um, and we'll be launching in the Bay area early 2020.
0: Well, we're looking forward to it. And I appreciate you taking some time today to talk about what's going on in your world. And, um, we'll keep an eye on it and get ready for your launch.
1: Yeah, thanks,
0: Adam. All right, have a good one. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. That's all
1: for this episode. Your next step is to join the Change Creator revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator podcast.